Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of T1 Talks. This is a podcast where we come to share our experiences living with type 1 diabetes to build a sense of community for diabetics, both type 1 and 2. We're hoping to normalize the things that we don't normally talk about when it comes to this chronic condition and dispel any myths about what it means to be a type 1 diabetic. We're also hoping to increase diabetic awareness in general. I'm Gianna, a type 1 diabetic of 14 years and a recent graduate of the College of New Jersey. And I'm Victoria, a newly diagnosed type 1 at 29 years old. And I'm a medical student from Saskatchewan, Canada. So today we're going to talk about accommodations, which are sometimes still called disability services, depending on where you are. They're usually available for students who have special requirements while in school. They're also available to people working with chronic conditions. Definitely. And essentially, these accommodations just level the playing field for anyone who has a health condition. And this is just for anyone. So students who have mental health conditions, students who have physical health conditions or things like autoimmune diseases, really anything that can be a barrier. And Again, like Gianna said, like these accommodations are for students as well as for people who are working. And so it's really just about finding out what you need to be safe at work and then communicating with the people around you. Yeah. So going off of that, I want to start off this episode by sharing an example of something that I went through that I think emphasizes the importance of getting accommodations in your workplace, no matter how uncomfortable it might be. I was working as a cashier somewhere and I didn't wear any sort of medical ID nor did I have any sort of written accommodation. So some of the people I worked with did know I had diabetes because they maybe saw me take out my pump or I had tested in front of them, something like that. A lot of people I worked with didn't know I had diabetes, which is a really scary thing because if it's you and one other person on the floor, they need to know that you have diabetes in case anything happens. This was still a time in my life where I didn't like acknowledging my diabetes that much. I more or less did the bare minimum I could to survive when it came to my diabetes because I constantly felt like anything I did was a burden to those around me. Even if it was as simple as taking five minutes to test my sugar and take care of myself, I I didn't want to do it. So on this specific day, I came into work without anything to test my sugar with. I had forgotten my test strips at home, so I couldn't use my pump that I was normally using. And I didn't have a CGM yet, so I couldn't just pull out my cell phone and check that. Looking back, it really scares me how much I neglected myself. Because to go into work feeling the way that I was feeling for this shift and not caring enough about my health to say, hey, I need to go home and take care of this. It's just really sad to look back on. It's something I would never do today and it's something I would never recommend to anyone. Your health comes first no matter what. Moving back to the story, the way that things were set up at this job was that if you're working a closing shift, it was just you and one other person. And in this case, I was with my manager who happened to be someone I spent a lot of time with outside of work. And she knew what I meant when I was saying, I feel like my sugar's high. She understood that I had to keep using the bathroom, that I was very tired. And I felt like I was dissociating a little bit. It almost felt like I was watching my body, like I wasn't really there. These are all symptoms that I experience when my sugar's high. So in my mind, that's what I was feeling, and that's what I was also telling my manager I was going through. She offered multiple times for me to go home. I lived about five minutes away, so it wouldn't have been a big deal for me to go home real quick, grab the test strips, and come back. But because I knew that I didn't set up an accommodation and I actively made that decision to not set up an accommodation, I didn't want to 
inconvenience her by going home. Eventually, I start feeling so terrible that I make the decision to just guess and take a random amount of insulin to try to make my sugar start to go down and then hopefully feel better. This is something they teach you not to do in Diabetes 101. The reason being exactly what happened to me. I either way overcorrected for this high blood sugar or my sugar was never high to begin with. I just felt those symptoms for some reason and I was correcting a non-existent high. The lower my sugar got and the more disconnected from myself I was, the more I just started randomly giving myself insulin too. So by the time the people who were taking care of me got there and looked at my pump, I had taken an absurd amount of insulin that regardless of how high my sugar was, did not make sense. So the next part of the story is filled in by people that were there this night. I don't remember absolutely any of it, but I was behind my register and you would think that, or at least I believed until this night, that when a diabetic has low blood sugar, they pass out and that's that, you know, they go to the hospital maybe. But really, I was awake this whole time I was communicating with the guests, but I was just saying random things. Everything I wanted to say was not coming out of my mouth. My brain was just pulling random words and phrases from who knows where and blurting them out. And the amount of change I was giving people wasn't correct. Even though it was on the screen in front of me, it was just something was very off. And I am so, so thankful that a guest decided to get out of line, go find my manager and let them know that something was wrong. Because if that didn't happen, who knows how long I would have been there for. So as soon as my manager realized something was very wrong, she grabbed my cell phone and started trying to text whoever she could. I had a passcode on it, so she was only able to talk to the people that were on my home screen. And my friends later told me that every message they were getting from my phone was just a jumbled mess. Reasonably so, because my manager was under a lot of stress and trying to get me help quickly. But they said once they saw the word diabetes somewhere within the text that they knew it could be something serious. And so they reached out to my parents and had them call. My mom called first and she tried to talk to me, but since I wasn't making sense, she was able to figure out that I was having a low blood sugar. And she told my manager, get this girl juice, get her food. And she was sending my dad over because he was a lot closer than her. My manager's sitting here all confused now, like, doesn't she need insulin? She's been saying her sugar's high. That's all she's been saying. So now she's super confused, but she listens to my mom and luckily gets me some kind of food or drink from where we were working. When I finally became responsive again, I was in the back office with two of my friends, my manager, and my dad. And my dad was trying to force me to drink juice, eat some crackers, do anything because I was low and I was not having it. I was really lucky in this scenario because I was surrounded by people who went out of their way to help me. But just keep in mind that this whole thing started because I didn't want to set up an accommodation. I didn't want to have an area for my stuff. I didn't want to talk about my diabetes with the people I worked with. I didn't want to do a lot of the things that I should have done. And the reason I didn't want to do it was because I felt like I was putting my burden on someone else. And listening to this whole story, you see that I ended up passing a lot more responsibility on to everyone around me. And they had to pick up a lot of pieces that I left behind. And I think that you bring up a really good point through that whole story that you were really lucky that you had a manager who knew what was going on 
because you knew them outside of work. And I think that a lot of people don't have that sort of privilege where you have that friendship with your manager. And I think that you would have been in a very different situation had you maybe been sent home and just left for um, like your weird behavior, right? If your manager didn't know that you were diabetic and thought maybe you would come to work drunk or you were sick or you were just crazy or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I think a lot of people don't realize that a low blood sugar can come off as someone who's drunk. That's what it feels like, at least to me. And it can also come off as just someone who's like a quirky person. Like you say weird things and you do weird things. And when your sugar's low, that's exactly who you are. So it's important that your friends are able to tell the distinction. Absolutely. Like I think that a lot of the signs of a hypo are subtle to people around us, especially when we like you said, like you were so convinced that your sugars were high, you weren't interpreting any of your symptoms as low symptoms. And that makes it even more confusing for people around you when you're telling them, no, I'm high, I'm high, I'm high, but actually you're low. And so then they really are left without knowing what to do. Yeah, I think it's good that you bring that up because I get asked a lot from friends, people in my classes, coworkers, like, what do I do if I ever catch you in diabetic shock and I tell everyone the same thing I trust my parents they can do whatever but everyone else I say call 911 I don't care if I told you what to do I don't care if you think you know what to do just call 911 play it safe and that way there's there's not really a wrong answer I think for me that's really the safest option but I think that's also something you have to figure out on your own what you're comfortable with with the people around you and you can decide who gets to step in. And that sort of comes away from accommodations, but still along the same lines is providing those sorts of instructions for people around you. Carlin and I have that conversation all the time. What would it look like if my sugar was really low and I was unconscious? What would he do, right? Like, And I think ultimately, like you always just want to err on the side of caution. And I know the same thing happens when um, like I live alone most of the year. And so if I weren't responding to my texts and my sugar was reading low on my Dexcom, it's the same thing where they would automatically just call emergency services because that's the safest choice, right? Rather than trying to make any treatment decisions in the moment. Yeah. And with that, I'm actually going to circle back to the important part of an accommodation, at least the most important part in my opinion. And it's that open line of communication that's tied in with it. When you set up an accommodation, you're usually talking it over with whoever it's with, whether that be a boss, a professor, whatever kind of superior it is. And you really need to make sure that there's an understanding of what your needs are. Maybe you need a space for your diabetic supplies. Maybe you need to be able to go home if you forgot something. Maybe you need extra time on a test. Whatever it is, they'll know that it's something that you need. And you're not using it as an excuse because you talked about it prior and you're not just pulling it out of, out of nowhere, which I assume you would do if you didn't have an accommodation and something came up. It's really being proactive about it. And that's what it comes down to. I wasn't like that for a while, but now I am. And I can tell you it helps me a lot. Exactly. And I think that that's right. Like preparation is everything um, and is something that 
you have to learn and I'm learning right now as a newly diagnosed diabetic is just sort of what do I need to be supported as best I can. Um, And so for me, my story with accommodations is a bit different. So I originally set up university accommodations in during my biology degree, my second degree, and I set them up because I was really nauseated and throwing up all the time. It was awful. And it was really hard to try to deal with in school, as you can imagine. And so it made a lot of sense that I needed some sort of support while I was going through these um, medication side effects. And so really all I needed was a, a line of communication with my teachers to help me navigate things like if I needed to miss class or if I needed um, extra time during an exam because I was sick, if I needed to reschedule things, stuff like that. And now my accommodations look a lot different, um, but they've been with me through my entire university experience. And I have to say, like, I'm grateful every day that I have them. Um, Even today, like I just got an email from the accommodations department talking about setting up some extra sessions for me to sort of practice being diabetic before I'm actually in a situation where I'm caring for patients. And I really value that because I've never been in a situation where I've been diabetic in the hospital working with a patient. Um, And so it's like all sorts of things that can just sort of help me be successful. And I just always want to stress that like, I am in medical school and I have accommodations. It's not something that you that limits you in any way. It just helps you. So like you were saying, it makes you safer. It makes you more comfortable. It makes people around you so that they know what to do if you're, um, if you're not well. And I think that that's so important. But in terms of setting up accommodations, I don't think I would have done it if I hadn't had a ton of support. So my sister helped me make the appointment. She came with me. I was so afraid of what they were going to say and if they were going to deny me or mock me or judge me for needing help. Um, But honestly, like after my first appointment, it was just night and day how I felt about it. I felt so much better and I don't hesitate to talk to my accommodations people. As I said, like I email them all the time to talk about different things that I think might help. And I would encourage everyone around me to do the same if they have needs for school. Yeah, and this is something I actually talk about a lot. I think people with chronic conditions are constantly having to justify their pain, not only to others that don't believe it because they can't see it, but also to themselves because you're constantly thinking to yourself, is this something everyone's experiencing or is this something that's coinciding with my diabetes or coinciding with whatever condition I have? It, it The lines gets blurry and you just get confused and start blaming yourself a lot. And when you're already blaming yourself, the last thing you need is to apply for an accommodation and have the person not exactly saying no, but making it as difficult as possible to understand why you have this need. It's just, I read a lot on Beyond Type 1 about people having to push for their accommodations, and it just shocks me because it's like, how can you tell someone that they don't need this? How do you know what they need? You you can't be inside their body. So how could you possibly know? Exactly. And I think that that's something that needs to change in our workplaces and in society. And I think that as a student, I'm really lucky because there are so many 
like formal things in place to set it all up. Whereas I think a lot of um, people who are working for employers, the employers themselves maybe don't have enough knowledge to fully support their employees. But it is awful when you hear about people not being accommodated appropriately and the danger that that puts especially type 1 diabetics in when they can't get what they need. So after I met with the accommodations um, department, you have to get or I had to get paper filled out by my doctor that just sort of highlighted what I needed. And I still hate doing this because I don't like asking my doctor for things, but I, I do it every time I need to. And I think the biggest thing here is just like, it's important to ask and talk to the doctor and the accommodations people about what they think might help me with my needs and back and forth. So what I think might help, I think that people have a lot of really good suggestions that I wouldn't normally think about, especially with a new condition like diabetes, where I really don't know what I'm going to need, especially because I'm my whole school experience is changing this year. And so I just want to quickly touch on some common accommodations that people get um, and that I've had for a long time. And then um, just talk about sort of some extra things that are available once you open the conversation about accommodations. And I think that that's really important is if you've never talked to anybody, you're never going to get what you need. Whereas once you start talking to people, it's amazing how much like people will move mountains to make things work sometimes for you. Definitely. And I think what you said about talking to your doctor about your accommodations is an amazing idea because I can tell you as someone who's been a diabetic for nearly 14 years, you learn something new every day and your feelings also change as you grow up. The accommodations that I would have wanted in elementary school are different from the ones I would have wanted in college, as are different from the ones I want in work. So you're always changing. It's good to communicate with your doctor and maybe they'll suggest something you didn't even think about. Always be proactive. Exactly. Totally. And so for me, something that had the whole time is extra time for my exams. And this has been a hard thing for me because I would always say I don't need extra time for exams. I'm a fast exam writer. But the reality is that if my sugar goes low in the middle of a test, or if I have to use the washroom in the middle of the test, or whatever happens, that time doesn't come back to me. And time is tight. And so by having that extra time, I just have a little bit of wiggle room, even if I never use it. And often I'm done before my time and a half is up. Um, other common things that people do is like having a low distraction exam environment, and then things like being able to use a computer or some sort of assistive technology. And then things like that I use for my chronic pain have been stretch breaks. So I get to get up and walk around during exams um, and these have been really helpful. And I think that it's just important to know that they really will work with you to figure out what accommodations you need versus like just giving you sort of standard accommodations that they give everybody. That's, I don't think, ideal. And then there's all sorts of diabetes accommodations, which I think Gianna can touch on better than me. Yeah, so... As much as I've been preaching this entire podcast about the importance of accommodations, I'm sure you guys will love to hear that I've actually only set up formal accommodations for myself maybe twice, once when I was living outside the state on an internship, and then when I was in late high school doing standardized testing, like SATs, that kind of thing. And I can tell you that at the beginning of my college experience, when 
I didn't let my professors know about my diabetes and I didn't talk about it at work. I was constantly putting myself in jeopardy because I left work all the time with the low blood sugar and I could have taken juice. I could have had a lot of things set up for me that I chose not to. And same with my classes. I was sleeping through some of them with low blood sugars. I was about to fall asleep in classes, so I would walk out and not be able to explain it to the professors. And it was really bad for me because I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone else about it because by the time it would affect me, it would be halfway through the semester, three weeks into my job. And I never wanted to bring something up that late because at that point they have the option to say, hey, why didn't you tell me about this earlier? Why wasn't this a thing that you told me when you first got here? And I always just felt like it was going to give me some kind of leg up above everyone else, some kind of special treatment. And I didn't want that. So I tried to avoid it as much as possible. These last couple of years, I've started to really embrace my diabetes more. I started telling my professors on the first day of classes, hey, I have diabetes. This is what it means for me. And I would explain that for me personally, that meant I wanted to be able to change my inset in class, test my sugar in class, eat and drink in class if I needed to, and also be able to get up and leave if I ever had to. And if my professor seemed to have an issue with that or asked me to get a formal accommodation, I totally would have. But luckily, I was just met with complete kindness. And I never felt the need to get a formal accommodation when it came to them because there was always an open communication where I felt like I could say whatever was going on. And I never felt any judgment or I never felt like they thought I was using it as an excuse, which was really nice to have. I really appreciated the fact that within the past year, I've started getting questions from people in my classes and my professors about my diabetes because it's something I really love talking about. And I really love when people ask me questions about it and try to understand parts of it. But a lot of people tend not to do that. And so I tend not to bring it up because I don't want to make anyone else uncomfortable if they don't want to talk about it or something. And so the fact that I had this sort of open communication over the past year or two, it was really nice to have. And it definitely helped me take care of myself better, being able to openly talk about the way I was feeling at certain times when it came to diabetes. It's so hard to ask for help, right? <laughs> and that's what it feels like. Oh, yeah, for sure. I have never been one to openly ask for help when I need it. So it's nice to have people that reach out to you and ask what you need. Totally. And I think you bring up a really good point about how you don't actually need formal accommodations to be set up, but what you do need is good communication between you and your professor or you and your boss about what your needs are. And even with formal accommodations, I still have that conversation with professors. And I think that work expectations can be really, really hard when you're living with diabetes. And like what I'm thinking of is when what am I supposed to do if my sugars are going down when I'm in the middle of a patient procedure or if I'm scrubbed into surgery? There's just times where it's not going to be subtle that I have to leave and do something. And so mostly just by having that accommodations plan, I'm able to share a little bit of information with my preceptor that helps them know that it's okay that I'm leaving, but then it also just gives me the time and space I need to deal with my low or take insulin or eat or do whatever I need to do and then come back. And I think it's easy 
for diabetics or anybody with a chronic condition to say, oh, I can't do medicine or I can't be a doctor or I can't be a firefighter. And I think that that's because there's a lot of stigma around what that looks like. So what does it look like if you have to leave unexpectedly and then come back? And I think it would normally be taboo for a student to do, especially in medicine. We have really high expectations of students. But with the accommodations, the my preceptor understands why I'm doing it. They understand that it's for both mine and my patient's safety. And they're willing to work with that because it's, like we said, it's not about asking for extra things. It's just about asking for what we need to be safe. Yeah. And I've worked a lot of part-time jobs doing a ton of different things. So Although I do prefer working on a team because I am surrounded by people and I know that if anything goes wrong, someone's going to help me take care of myself, I don't view diabetes as something that limits a person whatsoever. So whatever dream job you have, there is totally a way to do it with diabetes. You just have to be cautious and make sure you're surrounded by what you need to take care of yourself, which is, again, why accommodations are so important. Absolutely. And I like, while you can't ignore your diabetes because it will creep up on you, you can work it into your life, I think, no matter what you're doing. And I think it's just about really trying to think about what will help you the most and then trying to um, set up whatever accommodations you can with your employer. And so I really hope that with this episode, we help to dispel some myths about what it means to be a student or employee with accommodations and really just bring home the point that it's not about making excuses or taking advantage of the system, but really just making sure that we can work, learn and play at our best and safest. Yeah, you deserve to enjoy your job, enjoy school. So put yourself in a position where that's going to be easy for you. With that, I think we're going to close out today's episode by going over our goals from last week. As always, feel free to let us know about your weekly goal or intention at T1Talks on Instagram. Also, let us know how last week's went for you. So I think we'll start with you, Victoria. I know last week you were trying to make sure that you ate lunch every single day. How's that been going for you? Not very well. Um, I think I was a bit overzealous with like trying to eat lunch five days a week when I almost never eat lunch. So I'm hoping to dial it back in terms of my expectations and try and eat lunch maybe three days for this week. How did yours go? So I'm really in the same boat. To go from never carb counting whatsoever to trying to carb count every day was a little bit overwhelming. I also don't usually measure out my food. So I think that's something I need to work on before I go into carb counting. Because if you don't know what serving size you're eating, then it can be a lot to try to figure that out. So I'm going to try to work on that. But for this week, I'm setting a completely different goal. I want to go out and make sure I'm exercising for at least an hour every day. It's something that I talked about with my doctor and we both think would be good for me, not just physically, but also mentally. And I think that'll also coincide with balancing out my sugars. We've all been cooped up inside with this quarantine that I think it'll be a really nice break to get out there and be outside for a little bit. Absolutely. I think so many people are in that boat, myself included. Like, Getting out of the house is hard when you're stuck inside all day. So what kind of exercise do you hope to do? So as of right now, I'm kind of keeping it like a mixed bag. I want to do some swimming, some walking, some bike riding. I don't know if I would call it hiking, but I definitely want to check out the local trails, do a little bit of everything. Love it. It's a great time of year right now, too. I know here there's so many babies around, like baby birds, baby everythings. Honestly, I'm a sucker for cute animals, so... 
if I happen to see them, I am all for it. And so I think that sounds like a great goal exercise. Again, like you said, like being cooped up inside is so bad for mental health as well as physical health and our sugars really struggle. Um, my goal this week is going to be to keep track of my insulin every day in my Dexcom app. So I was doing so good at keeping track of things, um, in many places all the time. And that's really fallen to the wayside since, I don't know, about a month ago, I just needed a break from recording everything, but I need to get back to at least keeping track of how much insulin I'm taking every day. And so that's going to be my goal. Yeah, you bring up a good point, actually, because as someone who uses an insulin pump, I completely forget about my privilege that I only have to put in my blood sugar, which my Dexcom already calculates for me. So I just look at my cell phone and my carbs, which you guys know how that's going. And my pump does everything for me. So I don't have to worry about tracking my insulin I don't have to worry about what I'm getting at what time because all I have to do is hand my doctor my insulin pump and they can see everything listed out right there. Yeah, with MDI, there's a lot of things to keep track of. It's it's literally like the difference between having a, a blood glucose monitor and, a, and your Dexcom. Like the Dexcom just keeps track of all your data for you, whereas like MDI does none of that. I have to write it all down. And also like my basal rates change day to day often. So like I have to keep track of everything. So that's my goal. And I think with that, we'll end our show today. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.